Folks, our first on-demand workshop, How to Become a Coffee Consultant, is now available for you to learn at your own pace for just 50 euros, and it comes with a certificate upon completion. Go to mapperforward.coffee forward slash workshops or click the link in the show notes for more details. Support this podcast by supporting our sponsors. Welcome to the Daily Coffee Pro by Mapper Forward, friends. I'm your host, Lee Safar, and this is episode two of our five-part series with Marianella from Farmers Project. And we are talking direct trade from the perspective of the coffee producer. And today we are asking the question, what is the financial reality of direct trade for coffee producers? Marianella, take it away. Help us understand that from the perspective of somebody who's steeped heavily in in this uh, I- idea. Thank you so much, Lee. Um, I think that uh, continuing our conversation about direct trade, uh, I think one of the questions I get most often is, why don't producers, small producers, do more direct trade? Mm-hmm. I mean, what's what's the barrier? And the first one I would say is financial barrier, because when we began Farmers Project and we invited other farmers to collaborate and try to connect connect all the dots from the farm to small roasters in the United States, the first question was, how much am I going to get paid? And we said, no, we're doing it as a team. We're not buying the coffee. We're each put in our coffee from our farm in micro lots and we're all taking the risk together and then we'll all have the reward together. So we have to, it's a long journey. Mm. Um, We're going to have to not only go through harvest, but through wet milling, dried milling, exporting, importing, and then waiting for payment. And financially is a huge stop sign for small farmers because people don't realize that small farmers and most farmers only get paid once a year during harvest. Mm -hmm. And if you are the typical uh, three, five acre or smaller farmer, you're taking your coffee to a co-op, to the nearest co-op receiving station, and you get your tickets or your receipts to come and get your paycheck on Saturday. And you get your paycheck and you got to pay your pickers and then you just take some home. And also a big part of this paycheck was actually taken out before you got paid was the debt you had to the co-op because co-ops are serving. They're good co-ops and bad co-ops. However, I do realize and see in my experience, uh, there's a lot of corruption because there's a lot of bureaucracy to have a good seat at the co-op, uh, you know, requires some finagling and some, you know, friendships and, and bureaucracy. So what happens is co-ops have taken on a role of of kind of a business slash government institution. Oh. And uh, they serve as a credit card for the, for the producers. And there is a business for them to be had as far as providing inputs and providing, you know, all the fertilizers are bought in bulk. And then they sell them to the producer on a credit card and guess when the credit card gets paid Mm. at harvest. So they actually take that payment in coffee and then pay the on Saturday, they pay the producer the rest. Well, how did you stretch that little bit of money all the way for 16, 18 months Mm -hmm. 
you actually have to wait if you're doing direct trade you have to wait for your coffee to get to the destination and for your customer to pay you know and your customer in that destination may even ask for a little bit of financing because if they bought a larger amount they want to take it you know on a monthly or quarterly basis and they want to pay on a monthly or quarterly basis so financially that's the biggest barrier of entry for farmers uh for small farmers to do direct trade why isn't why do you think this isn't more widely understood from the consuming end of the supply chain. You spend time between Costa Rica and the United States, and we're going to talk about the marketing that's involved in like the cost of marketing and all of that in a second. But why do you think that there is such a disconnect between what's actually happening with regarding to the financing side of direct trade and the reality of how people understand it at the consuming end? Uh, I think, first of all, the whole system has always been set up to be a trading system. So it's, it's, it's for the powerful uh, exporters and importers to to manage the chain, the value chain. Right. And so there isn't a conversation or a connection between this the smaller farmer and the roaster that really wants that traceability right to the farm. Mm. Because... The system has uh, always been set up for volume too, for you know the sea market. And mm-hmm. so when you're trying to do micro lots, I meet roasters all over the world that really want those amazing micro lots. But the, it, the, the roasting community also has a disconnect amongst themselves. They're not collaborating. There aren't co-ops, not very many co-ops uh, in in the United States or or North America that where where roasters get together and say let's source together with a group of small farmers. I always ask roasters, why don't you guys team up? Like we team up as as small producers to be mm-hmm. able to accomplish the long journey all the way to United States. You guys could team up. I see a lot more of a community like in the brewing, you know, the beer brewing community mm. share a lot more than the roasting. It's almost like a very secrety. Uh, it's very wild, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. There's not collaboration. And really, we go back to volume and the viability of exporting has to start with one container. So when you have one small roaster wanting two pallets of a micro lot, 20 right. bags, and you have this great producer with the 20 bags exactly of what they wanted, it's impossible to connect that because of volume and you're not going to export that by plane, right? You're going to, yeah. you need a container and consolidation of micro lots is not easy to achieve. So I think that the, um, the challenge is that there is not enough of a channel of communication between the smaller producers and the smaller roasters. And we all tend to rely on those powerhouses and those bigger importers that are doing containers and then telling us it's direct trade, but it's not really direct trade because it went through many layers already from the farmer. The farmer, when we started, when my husband and I started, we had many exporters roll out the red carpet for us and say, oh, you're producing amazing coffee and you're doing all these honeys and oh my God, you're 
we, we got invited to come to their offices. And when we said, no, what we want to achieve is, is real direct trade, we have already a handful of roasters in the United States willing to pay us direct for our coffee. And they would say, well, we'll facilitate all the logistics. You just give us the list of your customers and we'll pay you right here for your coffee. <laughs> and we're like, no, that is that's, not direct trade. Not and that's not what we want to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, but that's, that's uh, yeah, that's the reality of what's going on on the ground and and the difficulty of connecting and and being able to, to source uh, just... It just starts with, I think, is volume and finances, really, when, mm. when, when you look at it. Another part of the financial burden of this is actually the effort that's required when you're doing direct trade to actually go and find buyers for your coffee. That's a, a huge investment with regards to the commitment of traveling to the United States, being based in the United States, marketing your coffee going and doing cuppings, finding people. What's that burden like for you as a direct trade producer? Okay. I actually don't see it as a burden. I see it as a privilege. Oh, um, nice. I, um, when my husband and I, after living at the farm and, and, and just really doing the – Doing the farmer life for four years in a small farm, we realized we had been burning through our savings faster than we thought. Mm. And we finally realized you, we can't make a living out of a small farm. This is, <laughs> again, I said from the beginning, <laughs> we were very naive, right? And mm. we're like, okay, we need to connect with the buyers and uh, we need to figure out a way to get back to United States to be able to bring more buyers to to our mm. group and and for them to see what we're doing at the farm level. Um, it was very sad for me to be able to, I mean, to, to actually have to tell the, the farmers from Farmers Project that we were going to have to also live in the United States and we were not going to be in Costa Rica permanently, but that I, we were going to be going back and forth. And I got very emotional when I mm. told them. I literally cried. I felt like I was abandoning them in a way. And mm -hmm. I will never forget that one of the farmers, and it was the first comment I got, and I still get emotional. Um, he said, great, now we have an ambassador. Yeah, beautiful. Love that. And that silver lining. Yes. That is the role I have taken. Uh, it's an honor for me to be their voice. And I see it as a responsibility, as an, a privilege to just be able to get all these roasters to come to Costa Rica and see each one of our farms and see how we team up and every step of the way, how we do it together. And people are like, wow, you guys are the real thing. How do you do this? And I always go back to it all. The whole foundation is trust. Mm -hmm. is, and, and that's why I can't write a book that says do A to Z and you achieve direct trade because A is trust. Mm -hmm. and, and how do you build that is very difficult. When And then the privilege of me being able to, to be a citizen of the United States and a citizen of Costa Rica and connect that loop that you're talking about because it's, I go back and forth literally every couple months. I follow the bean and I am very privileged to 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 
to see that and to and and to be the voice here and there and the connector and and just the, to have the relationships deep relationships with our ro- roasters and with the farmers and uh, so it is very difficult and that's why it's not very replicable i would say you know it's just i yeah. i get a lot of, especially women that that i absolutely would love to to say here's the recipe just follow right. this this and you're gonna get to direct trade and i've had people from africa women from africa say marianella can can we talk over whatsapp and and can you show me how to do mm-hmm. what you're doing and i'm like gosh how do i how do i find a recipe to replicate and share with people because um it and it also also leaves something very important it takes finding those roasters that are willing to meet you halfway the roasters that think out of the box, the roasters that are willing to take that first risk. I remember when we got the very first customer from Lincoln, Nebraska, and they said they would order 10 bags. And I was like, oh my God, now we have to figure out how to get the 10. You know, it's like it was the first order. So um, now all of the roasters that are part of Farmers Project and we see ourselves as a family, it's like, it really took them to also step out of their comfort zone and trust Mm -hmm. that we were going to deliver what we promised, trust that we were going to have the quality that we were uh, sending in those cupping reports and in some, in in those samples, because everybody knows what happens between the farm and the, and the (laughs) delivery. And so they were taking a big chance on us. And so it does take a huge amount of commitment from both sides. Yeah, it's amazing that people don't really appreciate the investment other than the money and the time. Like the investment in building the relationships that's required for this is huge. So now we want to go in in the next episode, folks, we're going to take a look at some of the failures of direct trade. Um With everything in this, we like to look at coffee bags and see how everybody's doing this amazing job at doing all these amazing things. But the reality of it is this is the coffee industry and it's the coffee supply chain and there is some darker sides to all of this. So join us in the next episode um, for the third part of this five-part series and we'll see you then. Peace of and peanut butter, folks. Have an amazing rest of your day. Thanks for tuning in, friends. There are two ways you can support this podcast. Firstly, become a paid member of our YouTube channel. Secondly, you can join our Patreon for as little as $3 a month. Both have options for exclusive ad-free content and early release content. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. The Daily Coffee Pro is produced by Map It Forward and the music you're listening to is called Run 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 off of my album Laundry After Midnight. To get older episodes of this podcast, as well as more information on Map It Forward, head to mapitforward.coffee. You can find links and more information in the show notes below.